0: <laughs> oh, Once again the Greg proofs film Club convenes here from Los Angeles Most cinematically dazzling palace Of the arts of the fine flicker The Cine Family located here On Fairfax Avenue in the gracious Tennis shoe District uh, where at any point you can see uh, a loser dude standing in giant lines waiting to buy tennis shoes to resale on the interweb Because this is the world that we have made <laughs> Once again we're here to celebrate cinema in all of its glory And uh, here's one that Jennifer and I chez this week The 1980 classic 9 to 5 with uh, the astounding, astounding Lily Tomlin uh, Who's one of the great underrated actresses of all time quite frankly Jane Fonda uh, was the Maha who got this one made and uh, it's the um, debut of Dolly Parton which sounds staggering at this late day to think that she, her first picture was 1980. Uh, she'd been a star for ages and uh, she was an immediate smash and then went on to make a couple of very cute movies and then of course movies like Rhinestone. Uh, thank you for the four people who saw Rhinestone or have even heard of it. Uh, In the day, it was uh, 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 a Hindenburg of enormous proportions, but uh, nothing is ever Dolly's fault, in my opinion. Um, The the world has too few Dolly Partons and too many everyone else. And uh, uh, if all country singers had quotes like, I'm glad I was born a woman, otherwise I'd have been a drag queen, uh, then I would like country music, okay? Uh, as it is, I, I find that country music is a lot of, uh, uh, you know, it is what it is. It's uh, White people get the blues. Sometimes they get down. Uh, you know, white people are like, oh, my God, I woke up this morning and I had an uncustomarily early tea time. You know how they are. Uh, <laughs> shit can knock white people right down. And... Uh, So uh, I adore her uh, as as an artist. By the way, and this is just an aside uh, because I was studying up, and not something I find completely important other than in the sense that 9 to 5 is a movie about um, an overarching, overweening, sexist, uh, bigoted, sexual predator boss uh, getting his comeuppance at the hands of three women who are not only morally better than him but smarter and more capable than him. Uh, So it doesn't speak at all to today. It's a real... (laughs) It's a real nostalgia piece, I think. Uh, like The Wizard of Oz uh, is to uh, the, uh, the, the, the people who own farms. Uh, <laughs> you know, there was a time when a tornado could sweep you away and find you in a fairyland for an hour and a half in a dazzling MGM musical, and those days are gone. Uh, uh, this, movie, uh, this movie's more pertinent horribly ever uh, than it could be, and that's the uh, punitive part of cinema, uh, that if you uh, hang around long enough, um, your picture is not only relevant again but probably more relevant than anybody wanted it to be. Uh, and I think that's beautiful. Dolly uh, Parton, the fact I was trailing toward was that she's the most wealthy uh, country star of all time. She has a personal fortune of in the 600 millions, which I think is exhilarating. Uh, When she was born, uh, she's from a uh, kind of a destitute family in Tennessee. Her dad paid the doctor with a bag of oatmeal. So to be the most wealthy country star of all time and to have the kind of awesome career she's had gives me hope to carry on, quite frankly. Uh, In this world of the tangerine tyrant, the Oompa Loompa oligarch, the (laughs) papaya Pinochet, the sweet potato Stalin, Kremlin color controlled carrot, Orange Julius Caesar. <laughs> you get the idea. Uh, ha, ha, ha. Lily Tomlin uh, never got an Oscar, and uh, I always felt like Lily Tomlin was one of the most extraordinary comedians, certainly of my uh, childhood and teenagehood, and, and going on, as we say. Um, I, she came to our college. I went to college um, in, the, uh, in the 50s in Brookline, Massachusetts, and. Fuck you, I'm joking, that's a joke. Fuck you, seriously, fuck you. College in the 80s in San Francisco. <clears throat> and, ha uh, ha, and uh, yeah, what did you do? Oh, I lived in Glendale. Oh, great. Let's trade stories sometime, because I need the nap. Um, yeah, no, I'm dissing you, whoever you are out there right now. Yeah, I lived in San Francisco in the 70s and 80s, so if you can be cooler than that, I don't think you can, all right? If you grew up in LA or whatever, I'm sorry. I understand, everything's warped for you. I get that, you did coke when you were 11, I understand. You made a student film, um, but not everybody liked it in the class. I, I get, no, I get it. I get what happened to you, who grew up in LA. And if you grew up in the Midwest, I don't even know what to say. You made progress, look, you're here, okay? Look what happened. You're in the Republic of California now. The last bulwark of democracy for the next four years besides Germany. There's a turn of events no one anticipated that Germany and California would be standing up for democracy and against fascism in the the teenies. What do we call this fucking decade? Jesus H Christ on a cracker that the cat dragged in from a fucking box of... Lily Tomlin played our school and did a character called Purvis Hawkins that was a black man. And she wore blackface when I saw her. I mean, not like, you know, like Al Jolson blackface, but a light-colored. I remember reading a piece about her where it said, she's mostly lighting. It was like, I saw her at at a college. Um, We didn't have lighting. We were college. So, uh, and she was fantastically funny. And she walked into the crowd after, and I stood like everyone else, a gape and a gog and uh, other biblical uh, kings. And, uh, uh, and, and I said, uh, she, someone asked her about the car- character Purvis Hawkins, who was kind of a Marvin Gaye meets Luther Vandross, like a real smooth, like, you know, hey, baby, everybody likes love. You know, one of those characters. And, and um, I'm a Sagittarius. Uh, and someone mentioned that, and I said, I thought you looked like Smokey Robinson, which she did. And she turned and went, me too. And I went, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> Later of course I was lucky enough to meet her again and not do that Uh, but at 20 I went (laughs) and uh, uh, she's a a titanic uh, comedian I wanted to read you a couple of her lines from the many shows she worked on of course uh, Jane Wagner being her uh, chief partner and collaborator in uh, a good deal of her work especially from the 70s on. Uh, Why is it that when we talk to God we're said to be praying but when God talks to us we're schizophrenic? Yeah that is funny Uh, I'll just, I'll backdate the jokes for you uh, with a that's funny uh, when I feel you're not laughing enough. Um, I don't know if you came here to be respectful and honor everything I say with a moment of silence, but it's not working for me. This is the comedy portion of the show before we show a comedy movie. There's a lot of comedy tonight. Uh, Dabney Coleman is on a dog chain at one point, so let me just warn you how good this movie gets. This movie gets good. Exercises for people who can't handle drugs or alcohol. (laughs) Word to your mother. Mm. That one is fantastic. Uh, She did many one-woman shows. What was it? Tonight and then Search for Intelligent Life in the universe. And uh, uh, this one I think is from uh, that one. The trouble with being in the rat race is that even if you win, you're still a rat. And, I know, that was more rye. I grant you that one. <laughs> I grant you the internal smile a lot of you had on that one, as opposed to the guffaw. And then this one uh, is what is, I think, my favorite Lily Tomlin joke. When I was growing, besides, we're the phone company, we don't care, we don't have to. <laughs> uh, she auditioned for Laugh-In. Um, and, and she came to L.A. The show had already been on like a year or two. And she went into audition, and they go, what are you gonna do? And she goes, tap dance. And she took her shoes off. (laughs) And she had glued taps to her bare feet and tap danced with them. And George Slaughter and Fred, what was this, friendly, Uh, the producers, uh, uh, George Slaughter went, you're in, you're in, we want her. We want, like, right there. She blew their minds uh, when she walked in. I'm gonna tap dance. Uh, When I was growing up, I always wanted to be someone. Now I realize I should have been more specific, (laughs) right? That's like a left hook, that one. You may not go down, but you're dizzy. Reality is the leading cause of stress among those in touch with it. And this one, which I think is superb. Forgiveness means giving up all hope for a better past. (laughs) I say forgive everyone and forget nothing. Thank you. That was an excellent response. Someone went, yeah. (laughs) Almost a cartoon gang, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I say we go there tonight and knock over all the trash cans. Yeah. (laughs) Easy, dirt face. I wanna go. We're getting into Top Cat here. This shit got real in a big fucking deal. That's what happened. Uh, Let's see here. Uh, Dolly Parton uh, is a rare... yeah, as a rare wit, uh, aside from being a, a stunning star, and uh, I, my favorite one, of course, was the drag queen quote. But this is one that I really liked, and I'm sure you might have heard it before, but it's very good. I had to spend the whole of my childhood and teenagehood listening to Johnny Carson and every crappy talk show host go. It was uh, it was so hot today, Dolly Parton melted. <laughs> you know, like there was nothing but breast jokes about her for like a thousand years, and she has the last laugh because she could buy everyone on earth and make them her servants, and we would have to live in an ant colony and she's nice enough not to fucking do that for that I worship her she took it with equanimity and grace which are two things that need to be reintroduced uh, into society Um, I tried every diet in the book I tried some that weren't in the book I tried eating the book it tasted better than most of the diets well constructed that one as a short story it costs a lot of money to look this cheap. And yeah. uh, th- this one, which I think is one of the better ones. I'm not offended by all the dumb blonde jokes because I know I'm not dumb and I'm not blonde either. Um, yeah, uh, we're so lucky that Jane Fonda uh, took the time out in uh, her career to uh, interview a bunch of women who worked for, uh, uh, who thank goodness. The holidays are over, but that doesn't mean you can't keep it going until St. Patrick's Day and then resume it on St. Patrick's Day, because that's the day that everybody resumes it, right? And then Easter, because we're so, I, I'm not actually sure what happens on Easter. Oh, no, Good Friday, right? And then there's Easter. Uh, uh, we, we try to show a movie every year on Good Friday. This year we're going to show the long Good Friday for no reason, other than the word Good Friday is in the title. It has nothing to do with Good Friday at all, and is in fact a gangster film. Uh, but I think if Jesus was alive now, he'd be like, there's a lot of fucking gangsters out there, and this shit needs to be dealt with. By the way, uh, just in case you hadn't uh, had wondered what was inside this globe, because this is the CineFamily, it's a, it's a stack of paper plates. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. (laughs) The stagecraft that goes on here is fantastic. We're also in month eight of Cinefamily's Gulf of Despair, where between the stage, when the screen, and the first row of chairs is a 30-foot area, (laughs) where later you'll find people milling about, and uh, we're going to have a small bus and truck company of... of, (laughs) The execution of Marat Sade under the direction, the execution of Jean-Paul Marat under the direction of the Marquis de Sade. Uh, we're doing a small version of it down here. A bathtub is going to be placed in front of all of you, and we're going to do Act Three. So, uh, I hope you're looking forward to that. Uh, there's been some sort of legal dispute going on between Cinefamily and uh, 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 Gil Garcetti, and uh, and former Mayor Richard Reardon and the Pantry Restaurant. And uh, for some reason, they are not allowed to have chairs in the front. Um, But I can assure you, the chairs are out and back now in the rain. And when they come back, they are going to be so awesome to sit on. It is going to be fungolicious. And uh, for those of you who are uh, mitochondriists, is that the word? No, mycology, is it? That no one in this crowd studies mushrooms? You know, you feel like when you... Yeah, uh, easy, lady. I know this movie's about women's empowerment, but you went a little too far just there. Let me Jeff Sessions your ass back into the fucking ring here for a second. What what were you yelling? Yeah, second chances are tough. It's hard to make it stick. Mycologists. uh, Yes, I believe that's what you're yelling. It's mycology. Uh, There's gonna be a. Timing is the essence of a conversation. <laughs> Yelling out randomly, I think you'll find, ruins the flow of comedy. Although it adds to it in a certain way. Because we all had a good laugh. <laughs> Someone just did a, a Celeste home laugh back there a minute ago. <laughs> How terribly, terribly witty. A little Myrna Loy laugh with your nose all pinched. <laughs> Uh, What am I looking at? Oh, well, it occurs to me uh, that this movie is more important than it could ever be in a thousand different ways. Um, I won't go into the plot or anything, but we've discussed it ever so briefly. Um, uh, This is what happened today, ladies and gentlemen. First of all, our dignified, uh, articulate, uh, judicious, calm, responsible adult president um, had a farewell address. And and his lovely uh, and talented, um, unbelievably uh, principled wife... Uh, was there as well, and uh, they. Uh, I don't remember ever watching a presidential farewell address before. I've read about them, I've read about, you know, uh, uh, Washington's, whatnot, whomever. But really, did you watch? Did Bush give one? I don't remember. W. Oh, all right, so long. Uh, gotta go, gotta go, gotta go, gotta go. Laura, 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 where's. Oh, shit, this one open, shit, this one open. Uh, I don't remember Dick Cheney giving a farewell address. I just remember a a puff of smoke and flames. And then uh, Billy Burke went, Oh, what a smell of sofa!" When he disappeared back into the bowels of the earth, into the torture chamber that he lives in, where his balls are in an Antonine Scalia ring of punishment. A lot of people talk about how shitty 2016 was, but Antonine Scalia left. So that's not, you know what? That's kind of a biggie. I, it doesn't mitigate Prince or Bowie or George Michael, but it's, it's good. Uh, are we really taking pleasure in uh, people passing off this mortal realm? Yeah, we are, you guys. This is why we're here. This is a cathartic experience for all of us. I'm going to say the things that you're only thinking and that other people won't say. No, you've thought worse. Um, what happened today, uh, I, I don't remember watching uh, Bill Clinton give a farewell address. I don't think that he did. Uh, Nixon gave the I'm not a crook uh, Speech on TV, I remember watching that. Uh, 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 Ford, uh, I don't remember Ford doing any. Well, goodbye. You know, nothing, right? And Reagan was, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen The Thing from Another World by Howard Hawkes. The, the monster that attacks the Arctic uh, scientific station is a superhuman vampire vegetable from another world. And he's quite tall and, and stately. And that's what Reagan was like at the end kind of a vampire carrot person from another world. <laughs> oh, okay. Nothing registered. It was really weird. And Herbert Walker didn't give a farewell address that I recall. This is the first time I remember a president flying back to his hometown, like Lincoln, you know, in Illinois, and, uh, uh, and, and giving an address, and everyone bawled. He bawled. I bawled. Jennifer bawled. Joe Biden, of course Joe Biden balled. Joe Biden was balling on the ride there. Um, and eating ice cream from a tub. <laughs> Maybe with his hands. Dr. Joe might have had to handy wipe him before he fucking got to the floor, you know? Fucking, he's irrepressible. I'll give him that. Uh, not my favorite vice president, but definitely irrepressible. Who would be your favorite vice president? Um, Hillary Clinton. Um, and my favorite president. Uh... This happened today. There was that uh, a fantastic moment and a call to arms and a warning and a caution and uh, fireworks fired over, uh, uh, you know, uh, Fort McHenry. He said he was going to be available and active as a citizen. And uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, if I have an army of lawyers that I'm leading against uh, the, the the shit Adolf Schittler's Third Reich here. Uh, I want Obama at the head of that army of lawyers, and Michelle as well. Um, Bill O'Reilly, this is from the New York Times. The letter, uh, Bill O'Reilly is a, um, uh, uh, he works on the Goebbels network as a, uh, a food, he's a food critic. And he, um, he talks about uh, 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 everything with great authority. Uh, and he's given a latitude. We hear the term fake news bandied about. A good deal these days. But Bill O'Reilly was a pioneer uh, in fake news. When fake news was just a notion in Pepe the Frog's amphibian sack, uh, Bill O'Reilly was giving it full-throated voice because uh, he's, he's provided some of the great non-facts of our time. Uh, on top of that, uh, when Roger Ailes, who was the head of the um, Snox uh, Brew Chetwork... Uh, was in deep doo-doo with uh, Gretchen Carlson and Andrea Tantaros and all, all, all the women that were uh, bringing lawsuits against him for sexual harassment, which eventually he was forced to resign his post, as you recall. Bill O'Reilly was a, a, a vehement defender of him and uh, a vocal defender as well. And I believe uh, said to Gretchen Carlson or was it Megan Kelly, if you, if you don't like it either, go to human resources or quit. And uh, this was in the New York Times today, uh, uh, because it's Bill O'Reilly breaking news. By the way, don't get his dander up. He's a feisty Irishman. Uh, If you talk about taking Christmas decorations off of a lawn in a town somewhere or or saying happy holidays, um, he's going to fucking rise up and, yeah, make a fucking statement. And by the way, uh, this swirling vortex of baby killing celebrity here in Hollywood, uh, yeah. Get a gun and be racist, and then you'll know what it's like to be a real person. <laughs> the letter includes allegations. Mr. O'Reilly called Ms. Huddy repeatedly, and that if some sounded like he was—I'm not even going to say the word—he was pr- practicing onanism. He invited her to his house on Long Island, tried to kiss her, took her to dinner in the theater, and after asking her to return a key to his hotel room, appeared at the door in his boxer shorts, according to the letter. In exchange for her silence and agreement not to sue, she was paid a sum in the high six figures, according to people briefed on the agreement. The agreement was between Ms. Huddy and the 21st Century Fox, the parent company of Fox News, the company, and Mr. O'Reilly's lawyer said her allegations were false. Jeff Sessions is a senator, uh, from the Confederacy. Uh, he believes the Emancipation Proclamation was a mistake. And they're having Senate confirmation hearings, uh, hearings this week, on, uh, the um, Judicial Committee, as they refer to it, which is peopled by such uh, um, uh, August um, personages as Ted Cruz and Orrin Hatch. Um, so don't worry. If you're an older white guy whose views are quite restricted in a lot of areas you're being well represented on this panel. Don't think that's gonna trickle away from you at any point here. Jeff Sessions is being put forward as attorney general. Um, when Trump said grab them by the scoochie, uh, the protesters uh, let's see, um, refresher becomes essential. This is uh, what uh, potential attorney general Sessions said, Senator, currently Senator Sessions said, I don't characterize that as sexual assault. That was in an October interview. Uh, last year. I think that's a stretch. I don't know what he means. Well, golly. Uh-huh. You know, so I should read it how he speaks because Jennifer and I have been talking about it all week. I don't know if you remember Henry Gibson's character from the Blues Brothers or the Burbs, but... Or even the movie Nashville, which Lily Tomlin is so dynamic in. Henry Gibson made a specialty of playing right-wing Nazis. And he played them, and he looks almost exactly like Jeff Sessions. It's not just a cinematic coincidence. It's a happy, fortuitous moment for all of us, because Henry Gibson laid down the the groundwork for what Jeff Sessions has been doing. And it's that twinkly, blue-eyed Nazi... Uh, who kind of looks at you and goes, "Well, I don't, I don't characterize that as sexual assault. I think that's a stretch. I don't know what he meant." <laughs> but I know that I respect ladies in the lower erd. Uh, if you remember the Blues Brothers, and you ought to, not because it's a good movie, but because. Everyone in it is sensational. I think John Landis did an extraordinary feat of taking um, every great Rhythm and Blues star from the 60s and 50s uh, uh, and a load of great comedians and making a hashy mess out of it, um, (laughs) connected by unbelievably great numbers and a couple of things that are funny. Uh, And you guys are all like, I love that movie. I know, you do. (laughs) I saw it at the, uh, the, the Clement. Was that what the theater was called? It was on Clement? in San Francisco. I think it was called The New Clement. It might have been called The New Clement. I saw it there with my buddy Brian when it came out. And we got really high and we're like fucking Blues Brothers. And then there's the James Brown thing and the Aretha Franklin thing and then Ray Charles and and Duck Dunn and the whole Stax Band. And then there's the Rawhide number, that's really cute. And then there's a bunch of stuff. And then the last hour of the movie is a bunch of cars crashing into a mall. And you're like, what the fuck happened? you have John Belushi you have John Candy you have Carrie Fisher you have uh, Kathleen Freeman from all the Jerry Lewis movies as a nun who beats Dan Aykroyd in the head with a ruler and potentially that might be the funniest thing that's ever happened (laughs) bit late in the game to critique the Blues Brothers don't you think (laughs) Henry Gibson however is head of the Illinois Nazi Party and I hope the irony is not lost on anyone Trump uh, whose name I've pledge never to speak crump today this is from the daily news US intelligence agencies warned him about uh, Russian operatives holding blackmail against him involving alleged perverted sexual acts during stays in Moscow and St. Petersburg a two-page summary of the allegations were presented to him and President Obama last week in meetings with the CIA NSA FBI and director of national intelligence a longer document published in full by BuzzFeed, hilariously, which is right around the corner, said that during a 2013 trip to the Russian capital, Trump made Russian prostitutes defile a Ritz-Carlton bed where President Obama and First Lady Michelle Obama had stayed on a previous occasion. The Statue of Liberty has taken its own life and is floating down the East River in New York Harbor as we speak. I feel like Edward R. Murrow because the sound you hear behind me is the sound of democracy being bombed to death with a Watergate every day by an out of control heedless predator. And uh, 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 I, I, the only thing we can do one, tonight, is watch this movie and laugh. Uh, and two, the reason I read you those three things today is, is the state of play. If you're a man, and you have it in your mind that women somehow have an advantage on you, and that all of these things have been resolved, and that you oughtn't have voted for Hillary Clinton simply because she's a woman, even though you've never asked that question about any male candidate you've ever voted for. No one has ever raised the question, should I vote for someone just because they're a man? No one's ever said that, and never made that face, like that, "Mm." Because that's always the face that goes with it. Um, If you are ever privy to a bunch of people yelling, lock her up, or uh, burn the witch, uh, or things like that, and you feel that um, uh, we're in a post-feminist era that you don't need to participate in, hmm, I wonder, might you wake up and, as Roxette once urged, join the joyride? Hello, you fool. I love you. Um, What needs to happen now uh, is for every man within the sound of my voice, both in this room and in the 17 to 25 people that listen to this podcast biannually. uh, Men have one task in the next four years, and that's shut the fuck up. And then your other job after that is to ask how you may help. Colin Higgins made this movie. He passed away of AIDS, so in my mind, he was a martyr. Um, He wasn't particularly friendly to Patricia Resnick, who wrote the original script. I mean, he was uh, uh, sort of friendly, I guess. According to an interview that I read, uh, he wouldn't let her on the set. He let her come on and have lunch and stuff. He said, and maybe this is right for a director to say, there's only one captain on a film, and it's the director. Uh, Colin Higgins, however, notably, wrote Harold and Maude. And yeah. He was a pool boy working at a producer's house and he gave the script to the producer's wife and she gave it to the producer and he gave it to Paramount and they were like, they signed off on it. They wouldn't let him direct. Hal Ashby took it after Colin Higgins signed off on it. Um, This really is his finest work because his other movies, Foul Play and, uh, uh, what's he here? Uh, Best Little Whorehouse, which he did with Dolly Parton as well. Uh, right, so Colin Higgins uh, directed this. Patricia Resnick wrote it. Um, uh, she also wrote the musical of Nine to Five with Dolly Parton. And uh, uh, this, is a, this is a review uh, from 1980 by Vincent Camby of the New York Times, the very last line of the review. I read his review and I read Roger Ebert's review. I read a bunch of reviews of the movie from then, uh, all of which called it a feminist comedy. And uh, uh, Roger Ebert had a jaw dropping erection over Dolly Parton in the movie. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm not even reading it to you tonight because it's so salacious. I I might as well read Fanny Hill or or D.H. Lawrence in a low, intoning voice. You know what I mean? Because it was some sick shit. There's something called acting, but it's not just acting. It's a life force. I'm not kidding. It's a life force. Roger Ebert said Dolly Parton possessed a life force. I think we know what that means. Wow. Vincent Camby, who is uh, quite a good critic, uh, wrote this. There's some sort of lesson to be learned. When white guys lay down the law, don't they just lay it down? <laughs> uh, not since Hammurabi's tablets, not since Axe Amandana's laws, not since blacksmith's fundamentals were poured over by firelight by a poor lawyer in Springfield. Have I heard an equivocal, false equivalent sentence at the end of a review of a highly successful comedy, by the way. This movie made more money than any movie of the year that came out except for The Empire Strikes Fucking Back, which made a gajillion dollars. There's no... Lucas dollars are different than regular dollars. <laughs> These aren't the dollars we want. These aren't the dollars we want. One thing that distinguishes all of the Star Wars movies, particularly the first three, is the line reading by anyone who's an extra in it is worse than a Star Trek episode. There are Stormtrooper line readings that are just unfucking believable. These aren't the droids we want. Are you inhaling? Backwards John Wayne helium? These aren't the droids we want. That would have been better. God, if John Wayne had lived to be in the Star Wars movies. Well, they're a rebel alliance. Out there led by a princess and some kind of mercenary. I don't know which John Wayne movie it is, but there was a movie show in San Francisco that Jennifer and I used to listen to. And in the opening sequence of it, they would play a load of John Wayne clips. And the best one is, we found him about a hundred clicks out, beheaded. Beheaded. I know. I know John Wayne was a fascist and I know you're a fascist. Thank you. But God damn it if he'd only been in them. My only complaint about the Star Wars series is that Christopher Lee was made to wait till the second set before they put him in. Peter Cushing's in the first one and has the best line in the entire movie. Carrie Fisher, God rest her soul, and everything's about Carrie Fisher, uh, said, Uh, uh, Why aren't you doing a tribute to her? I did one on my regular, my other, uh, my regular, because this is an irregular (laughs) rebel activity that only takes place under the cover of darkness in a a darkened cinema with people gathered. Uh, My uh, my other podcast, The Smartest Man in the World, we did give Carrie Fisher a lot of love. Uh, She was sensational, as was Debbie uh, Reynolds, her mother. Uh, Irreplaceable, both of them. And also, imagine... Debbie Reynolds was a star. uh, She grew up in Glendale, for goodness sakes. Uh, Debbie Reynolds was a star as a teenager. And it wasn't her first picture, but it was a smash, singing in the rain. And then your daughter, as a teenager, makes Star Wars. There's really no getting your mind around how over-envelopingly weird that is, uh, both as a cultural phenomenon and uh, cinema as we know it, and jazz like that. Uh, Carrie Fisher mm, says... Um, you promised me you wouldn't blow up my planet if I helped you. <laughs> and Peter Cushing is Governor Tarkin. I can't do Peter Cushing's weight. Peter Cushing was a vegetarian. And every day at lunch, he ate two, two you know, like spoonfuls of nothing. <laughs> Which is why in the movie Star Wars and through all of the Hammerhalla films, Peter Cushing has no weight between his eye sockets and his glottis. There is a barren, arid, reptilian zone that's both sexy and off-putting. Christopher Lee, utterly fuckable in every era. There's no question of that. 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, his entire life. Every decade he lived, he was fuckable. And even in his 90s with the long hair when he saw it. Totally. Rise, rise, my legions. Right? Fantastic, you know. But Peter Cushing and him were good friends. Which begs the question, what was lunch like on the fucking set? I'm guessing a cup of tea, two spoonfuls of soup, and a bunch of cigarettes, fags, right? That would be, uh, well, I guess it's time to go back, yes. So, Peter Cushing's line is, Carrie Fisher, who's a, a little overheated in the movie, and fantastically, and much by her own admission, has a British accent in the beginning of the movie, and then later, he is not British during any portion of the movie, but in the beginning of Star Wars, goes, I, I'm a member of the Federation. And you're like, what? Why, what? why are you Shirley Temple and Little Miss Marker? And then uh, she says, you, wouldn't, you promised me you wouldn't blow my planet away, I help you. And Peter Cushing goes, you're far too trusting. <laughs> if Christopher Lee could have been in the second and third movies and just came in and gone, yes. It's called the Death Star. <laughs> right? That's all you would have needed. Just rewriting history. Vincent Camby said this, because of 1980 was the year we were talking about. And by the way, there were a lot of movies that year. Uh, it, I believe, was it Any Which Way But Loose? No, it was Any Which Way You Can, I think. Yes. Any Which Way You Can. I'm going to leave you guys to Google that one. Yes. When the history of cinema is written, and Clint Eastwood and orangutans are struck on the roll, you're gonna be like, really? That movie made a hundred million dollars? Yeah. Yeah, it did. So did the first one. Clint Eastwood and an orangutan. What colors are orangutans? Huh. Yeah. Do a little Sudoku, okay? Vincent Canby said, there's some sort of lesson to be learned. I'm gonna pretend I know what his voice sounded like. Because of the tone of this first sentence, I'm going to read him as Morris the Cat. There's some sort of lesson to be learned from the fact that the biggest laughs in 9 to 5, as well as in several other feminist comedies, Depend on enthusiastic, unabashed sexism. (laughs) (laughs) Let me read you the beginning of it again. There's some sort of lesson to be learned. So let me get it straight. You were resistant to the obvious lesson, which was that unabashed sexism is the reason why these movies happened. And on a non-comedy note... Uh, in conclusion, and thank you for visiting tonight's lecture, um, I-, I just found that fantastic, that the reviews ran from, um, oh my god, if I don't get to be with Dolly Parton soon, I- I'm going to uh, get with a box of bees," and, and this is weird, and I, don't, I can eat cilantro, but follow me on this. I'm not one of those people who can't eat cilantro. I know two people quite well who can't eat cilantro. And if cilantro is introduced, they throw a fucking shit fit, let's be honest about it. And they'll, uh, b- before cilantro is even uh, an element in the game, they'll go like, I can't have cilantro to whomever's serving. And the people are like, fine. <laughs> you know, we're at McDonald's, there's not like a cilantro, right? You know what I mean? We're a jack in the box, there's not a cilantro taco. And, uh, uh, the, but, and, but, and I say, why, why, pourquoi, okay. Why the cilantro? And they go, or if you're listening in England, uh, what's it called there? Um, yeah, uh, coriander. Mm. Which is way more uh, Jane Marple. Right? Coriander. It's like aubergine for eggplant. We say eggplant because we're egalitarian and we like to get our faces dirty and drive in trucks and shit, right? Because we're America, right? We like to shoot guns and oh, fuck it, the bullet landed on someone. I didn't know that was going to happen, right? Like, but uh, British people are like, uh, "An Aubergine. Mm-mm. It's not an eggplant. Aluminium? <laughs> really? It's not even spelled aluminium. That's what's fucked up about you. Uh huh. <laughs> The point being... Where was I headed with this before? Cilantro. Cilantro. Thank you. Juju bees. Juju fruits I never had a problem with. Juju fruits were pliable, they were soft, they were cushy, they were yellow, they were red, they were orange. They had all the fake flavors that we were introduced to as children fake cherry which doesn't taste anything like cherries at all. But you know what fake cherry tastes like. Fake orange, which doesn't taste like orange, but it tastes like fake orange. And fake lemon, which vaguely tastes like lemon. It's in the ballpark. If lemon had a ballpark, which it doesn't, lemon has a field, it's in Palestine, and over the others is Israel, and there's that beautiful movie. You know the one I'm talking about. And, but if lemon had a ballpark, it would include its candy. But cherry would be like you don't. You taste nothing like me. I revoke you. I always liked juju bees, but ju- uh, I mean um, juju fruits. But juju were the t- small, hard, and they had a, a convex disc on the top, and they were shaped like Daleks. and they were impossible to chew. When you bit down on one, you were like, "Fuck my my." My 10-year-old fillings are going to be withdrawn from my mouth and I'm going to have to explain this to my mother. And they had a soap aftertaste. That's where I'm getting at. My cilantro people are like, I can't eat cilantro because it tastes like soapy, ropey, fucking afterfill. And I'm like, but it doesn't. It tastes delicious and it tastes like coriander. And jujubes tasted like fucking soap to me. God, I was hoping to end on that. I know, right? Someone had the right idea, and that was to clap me off. Um, This movie has to start, and it has to start now. Uh, Thank you for coming out tonight. I give you now the fantastic 1980 picture with Dolly Parton, Lily Tomlin, and Jane Fonda. Nine to Five.